the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the Wednesday edition of our radio program. We are here to answer your Bible questions, questions about Jesus, questions about uh, how to put the Word of God into practice. And uh, our goal here always is the same. We want to help you, our radio listening audience, to fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's the goal of of studying our Bible. That's the goal of putting the Word of God into practice in our lives. It's not a religion, and this is not something that we do uh, out of rote memorization. Uh, this is something that we do out of the gratitude in our hearts because of what Jesus has done for us. And like we always say here, you fall in love with your Bible, and you will fall in love with Jesus. We promise. So that's why we're here. Let me give you the phone numbers, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. The email address to submit questions is questions at calvarysa.com. That's Questions, plural, at calvarysa.com. We have a church app that you can use to submit questions. Also, you can also listen online or you can listen through the KSLR app. You can even call in directly to the radio uh, station using the KSLR app. And there's a call now button at the top. Then you do that and you'll be connected right on air. You can ask your question. So if you're Tuning in for the first time this week, uh, I'm filling in for Pastor Ron. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. I'm here on staff here at the church. I fill in for Pastor Ron when he's not available. And today is, again, one of those days, Pastor Ron recovering. Thank you for your prayers. Recovering from uh, an illness. He's got the, the bug that's going around. And so, again, as always, he sends his love. He misses you dearly. His plan is to be back here as soon as he's able. In the meantime, our show will continue. So, I gave you the phone numbers. I gave you the way to contact us. Let me talk quickly about uh, here at Calvary Chapel. It's Wednesday. That means here at Calvary Chapel, it is our Old Testament study night. So, here in the sanctuary, 7 o'clock, you're invited to come join us. Pastor Matt will be teaching I think he's going to be teaching out of the book of Haggai, uh, but nevertheless, you're welcome to join us. Pastor Matt will be teaching 7 o'clock tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Okay, I give you the numbers. Let's jump in right to our, uh, our questions that have been submitted. The first one comes from Lynn. She says, the Old Testament has lots of stories. What benefit are they to read and reread? I prefer practical New Testament for reading only. Lynn, you're missing out. 
The Old Testament is a treasure, a treasure. It absolutely is. And, and in fact, I would go on to say that without studying the Old Testament and diving into the wealth of, of information and knowledge and even teaching about the nature and the character of God, you miss out on, on getting the full counsel of God. Understanding his character and his nature is essential. And the Old Testament is where that's revealed, at least partly so. In combination with the New Testament, you're able to understand fully what we see. Paul writes to the Corinthians there in, in chapter 10 in his first letter that these things, the, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, were were written as examples, or what happened to them was like examples, and they were written down for us, our benefit, those of us who are New Testament Christians. They're, they're written down as warnings for us. They're written down as encouragement for us on whom the fulfill, fulfillment of the ages has come. And so, uh, Lynn, my encouragement is jump into the Old Testament. The, yes, there are lots of stories context and culture is a little bit different, but this is how you get a full understanding of the full counsel of God. And then you let the the New Testament sort of be a commentary into how in, to interpret the Old Testament, and what you'll find is a wonderful treasure. So Lynn, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Let's go to our phone lines. Maria from San Antonio, you're on line one. Hi, Maria. Are you there? Okay, Maria, if, if you're there and you can hear me, uh, we cannot hear you. So go ahead and try calling back one more time. I apologize for the disconnect. Uh, we do want to take your call. So, Maria, again, if you can hear me, please call back. Let me elaborate just a little bit more on what Lynn's question was. Uh, Practically speaking, the Old Testament is one of the things that uh, not only do we study and not only do we see the character and the nature of God, but, for example, uh, this morning I was teaching out of Esther. And let me give you a picture here, Lynn, of, of how practical the Old Testament is. Uh, we're, we're, I was teaching the elementary kids here at the academy, about Mordecai. And there we looked at Esther chapter 4, one of the Old Testament books. And here in Esther chapter 4, one of the famous passages, when literally the entire Jewish population was about to be wiped out because of an edict that was declared by King Xerxes to wipe out all the Jews. And so, Esther, being the queen, at the time was encouraged by Mordecai to take advantage of the opportunity she has to speak and talk to the king and intercede on the behalf of the Jews so that they wouldn't be wiped out. Mordecai being a Jew, Esther being a Jew. And the practical application we learn there is completely New Testament. There we see Mordecai saying to Esther that it's, could it be that God has put you in this place for a time such as this? And it was God that placed her there for this time and for this purpose, Acts chapter 17, 26. It is God who ordains and appoints us to be at, this, at these places at this time that we would reach out and grope for him. Well, that's exactly the application we see there from Esther chapter 4. And Mordecai understood that. Even if he didn't have the New Testament, it was the same Spirit of God leading him to communicate this message to Esther. And that's just one of the many, many, many practical applications we learn from the Old Testament. So read it. Read it. And on a side note here, Monday nights, we are, I, I lead the men's Bible study, and we've been going through the book of Romans for over a year. 
And we're wrapping it up. We're right there at the last chapter. Now where Paul is no longer teaching, per se. He's just saying goodbye and mentioning a lot of people's names. And, but uh, what we're going to do after finishing the book of Romans is go into the book of Nehemiah, a, a book that uh, parallels Esther. But it's, uh, again, a new t- uh, Old Testament that's going to be full of New Testament practical application. So, Lynn, that would be my last encouragement to you. Yes, please read it. Read the Old Testament. You're missing out, and I promise you really will be encouraged. Okay, let's move on to the next question submitted. This one is from Lewis. Can you please explain the gift of tongues? The book of Acts tells us it's a known language to the one who hears it, if not to the one who speaks it for the purpose of spreading the gospel. But others have interpreted it as a prayer language between God and a believer. So which is it? Lewis, the answer to your question is is simple. It's both. It's both. So context here will will give us some insight into what's going on in the book of Acts. Remember, this is where we see the birth of the church. Acts chapter 2, during Pentecost, when the Jews received the Holy Spirit and that the church was born. Remember, the church in the first century was primarily, if not completely, Jewish. And and there at Pentecost, uh, it says that we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, what this was, it was a sign gift, a sign gift. There in Acts chapter 2, it was a sign to the Jews to show them that even if the church was primarily Jewish and the message of the Messiah came through the Jews, this was to show them that these people gathered there at Pentecost was a move of the Spirit because the people were drawn from all different parts of the world. They're speaking different languages, but they were declaring the wonders of God in, in the foreign tongues, in the tongues that they would understand. Again, confirming that this was a work of the Spirit, a sign gift to reach those that spoke a different language. So what they were speaking was a known language or, a, or an unknown language to those that were speaking it, but a known language to those that, that were listening. Again, that was a sign gift. Another example, Acts chapter 10. Remember there, uh, we have the Gentile Cornelius. And in his house... He, he knew that God told him to go and request for Peter's presence. And this was another sign gift to show Peter that the Gentiles also received the same spirit that they did. And as Peter would go there from the, the city in Joppa, uh, the place in Joppa where he was at Simon the Tanner's house, and remember, that's when he received the vision from God of the sheet that carried the unclean animals. And Peter's response, remember, was to say, oh, no, 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 I can't eat those. And God said, don't call unclean that which I've made clean. Now, this is a precursor to showing what God was going to do through the Gentiles and using Cornelius and his house as an example. So there in Acts chapter 10, again, a sign gift, because when the Spirit fell upon Cornelius' family, they started speaking in tongues, confirming to Peter that the same spirit that fell upon them in Acts chapter 2, the same spirit that fell upon the Gentiles. Again, a sign gift. And then there's a third example in, in chapter 19, and, and this is in the city of Ephesus. Remember, there were disciples there, disciples of John, that had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so, after having the gospel shared with them, they understood that, that they didn't have the full revelation of, of Jesus Christ and, and the gospel message. Once they got saved, again, the Spirit of God descended upon them and they spoke in tongues to confirm to those people as a sign gift that those who believed in John's baptism 
would also be born again and receive the same spirit. So the answer, the first part of your answer, when I said both, Lois, is that yes, it is a sign gift that was used by God at that time using known languages and the people listening would understand clearly what was being said. And now this doesn't mean that it doesn't happen in this way today. It's just not as common. But sometimes when someone would use the, the gift of tongues to speak in a language that they might know in a corporate setting, it might be in a language that somebody else understands. This is the gift of interpretation. And then this, this is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 14, where the, it, the gift of interpretation could be used to edify the body. Now, the second part of this, why I said both, is that, yes, there is also a prayer language. This is an individual and vertical gift that, that the individual uses to edify themselves. There in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, For one speaks in a tongue, but he speaks not to men, but he speaks to God. Nobody's going to understand him because he utters mysteries of the Spirit. This is what refers to as a, a, an individual prayer language where, where a, a, a person is really is communicating just to God. And there are some that believe that this is not of the Spirit and this is not extant today. However, um, we've seen it fruitful. We see the scriptures that support it. And if uh, Paul writes again in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, this is something that he wished it all had. Why? Because it edifies your walk with the Lord, your individual relationship with Jesus. So again there, uh, Lewis, I hope that helps. Yes, the gift of tongues as a sign gift used for a purpose at the time in the language that was known to those who were listening, but it's also used as a prayer language for the individual. Let's go back to our phone lines. Ray from Texas, you're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ken. I hope you're doing well today. Hi, Ray. I'm doing well. Yes. Good. Good. Um, I was I was concerned about uh, well, Jesus, uh, the Christ. Uh, he is fully God and fully man, right? That's correct. Okay, but. Uh, Going, going to the point where sometimes some of us humans uh, get disappointed or dejected and feel, you know, abandoned or, uh, you know, get down in the mouth, so to speak, and uh, flash forward to the uh, crucifixion. Uh, business where he's he's been beaten and and humiliated and and all of that, but uh, you know the, it, more than more than most people would be able to take, I think. Um, so fast forward to him being up on the cross, yes. And yelling out, uh, "Why, why have you abandoned me?" So, um, you know, uh, um, he he must have that must have just been uh, his human side. Uh, you know, kind of it's kind of like a, a, a schizophrenic dual personality thing in a way. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, I understand. Know, your I know question. you have a much better understanding of this whole situation and i hope i i brought out the point that I, I, was... I understand okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna get off the phone and listen on the radio if that's all right that's perfect ray thank you for your call and and uh, this is articulated in a way ray that i haven't heard before but i don't understand the heart of your question and so i can help I can help, Ray. A couple of things to remember here. Jesus, you're absolutely right, was fully man and fully God. He wasn't half man, half God. 
It was 100% man and 100% God. That was the only way that Jesus could fulfill his ministry to be the perfect sacrificial lamb that would pay the price for our sin. Now, we also have to remember that even if he identified with sinful man, he was sinless. He did not sin. We remember in Hebrews chapter 4, where the writer there says, even uh, Jesus has, uh, he sympathizes with us in all of our weaknesses because he was tempted by sin just as we are, but yet he still remained sinless. So he was tempted by sin, but not tempted to sin. That's because he was fully man and fully God. Now, to your point here, he was not schizophrenic. He did not sin. And the fact that he did not sin even to that brutal death on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't Jesus complaining. It wasn't Jesus uh, rebelling against God or questioning God. But in his suffering, Jesus was witnessing to the very people around him who could hear his voice. And what I mean by that is this, Ray. He was quoting Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 to the Jew they knew that this was a completely messianic psalm. It would be one that they knew the Messiah would cry out. And so that's what Jesus was doing. He was not complaining. What he was doing was fulfilling the prophecy, the messianic prophecy identified there in Psalm 22. So if you read the psalm, he's quoting it word for word. And what he's doing is saying, while he's there suffering, yes, in his humanity, his body is going to give up. But even in the middle of that suffering, he is crying out to God for the people to be saved. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not complaining. He's not schizophrenic. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't take away from his deity at all. In fact, it confirms what theologically is called the, the hypostatic union, being 100% man, 100% God. And so, Ray, I, I hope that helps. Jesus was witnessing when he was on the cross, thinking about others while he was suffering. And by quoting that psalm, the Jews who knew that psalm would know that it's messianic, and they would know what he's doing is confirming his deity while suffering and dying on the cross. So, uh, Ray, I hope that helps. Let me just elaborate on that just a little bit more practically. Because, back to Hebrews chapter 4, because Jesus is the incarnate Word of God, because the Word of God is living and active in our lives, and because Jesus is also our great high priest, this is evidence, biblical evidence, that Jesus is still alive today, working through the power of his Spirit in our lives. He's still reaching us through his word in the same way he did when he was alive. His earthly ministry on, he, on earth was to proclaim the kingdom of God, was to proclaim the word of God to an unbelieving world, and especially the Jews. Remember, the gospel was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But there will be some who will resist. There will be some who will not be pierced or provoked by the word of God. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, uh, suffering terribly, what we can do today is remember that Hebrews chapter 4 says, when I'm having a hard day, when I'm suffering, and and, and, and the terms, I, I forgot the terms that you use, but basically in the flesh, when my mouth wants to say things that are of the flesh, I have to remember there that even in his most difficult time, Jesus used his mouth to proclaim things of the Spirit. 
thinking about those around him instead of thinking about himself. So that's, a, that's an amazing thought for us to consider because you're right, Ray, but he was suffering. There was, uh, was the kind of pain and torture that most of us will never even come close to enduring. But his example to us is that even when it was most difficult for him, Ray, he didn't use his mouth to curse God. He didn't use his mouth to curse, curse people. He didn't use his mouth to sort of vent and um, let it be things that are of the flesh. Now, what he did was gave us an example of suffering, and in his suffering, used his mouth to witness to the people around him. And I think that's encouraging to us because, Ray, I, I know what you mean. We have this thing called a sinful nature, our flesh that wants to get angry and spew things and, and say things that are ungodly when, when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when things are unfair. But we look to Jesus as the example. No matter how difficult things get, he's the one that can sympathize with our weaknesses. So you can hear the music. That means we are finished with the first half of the Wednesday edition. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for Pastor Ron today. Keep him in your prayers as he continues to recover from his uh, little sickness He loves the radio audience. He misses you dearly, but he genuinely appreciates your prayers as he heals up. So, in the meantime, our show continues. As usual, we're here to take your questions about the Bible, questions about doctrine, questions about Jesus for for the sole purpose of learning how to put into practice and apply it in your lives. So, with that, Phone numbers, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. Email address if you want to submit questions that way, which we have received a couple. We'll take on the second half here of the show. Uh, questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. Again, I know some of you tune in on the second half. You're driving home from work. Use the KSLR app. There's a call now button at the top. If you're driving home, it's so much easier. and You'll be connected right to the radio studio, and you can ask your question on the air. Okay, I said that there were a couple submitted to the email inbox. Here's the first one. It says from Anonymous in our email inbox, word from a reliable source is that a new pandemic is coming soon and local police are meeting with local churches to prepare them for lockdowns. Has your church been approached by the police for this? Thanks and God bless. Anonymous, no. No, we we haven't been contacted by anyone and... And really, we're not expecting to because nothing is going to change here. One of the things that we learned from our past pandemic is, is that there's, there's a tendency to overreact. Now, we want to be careful, of course. This is not to be negligent. But one of the things we learned about the pandemic that has passed is that people are so easily manipulated um, and because of our emotions, because of our flesh, and also, by and large, this is just new for us. Nobody understood what COVID was or how to deal with it. And so there were a lot of reactions and opinions and even division within the church that was just ungodly. 
Uh, here we're always going to think about the people. We're always going to be safe. But at the same time, we're not going to stop doing what we do, which is teach the Word of God and allow the, the people of God to come together and not forsake the gathering, as Hebrews chapter 10 says. And that's what we'll continue to do. I, I don't know anything about a coming pandemic, and uh, nor am I going to research it, because it's, I, I have a, a lot to focus on when it comes to teaching the Word of God and administering, ministering to the people here. And so I, I'm not going to waste time, Anonymous, researching um, what police is saying or what they're going to do. If they contact us, we'll talk to them, of course. We always want to be um, good citizens and abide by the rules as best as possible. But again, one of the things we learned is that uh, from the pandemic was that we can't stop what we do, and that's to teach the Word of God. And the ones whom God draws will come. And if people aren't safe, they don't, or they don't feel safe, then that's between them and the Lord, and they can do what they want. But no, the short answer to your question, Anonymous, is uh, no. No, the police have not contacted us. <laughs> I laugh because, uh, not that it's funny, but because I, I, you know, talking to a lot of pastors in, in the different way and people have handled things, it's, I remember people, people, Christians who love Jesus, people who are even students of the Bible, were so distracted that they became students of interpreting executive orders, what it means and what it doesn't mean, what it looks like. And, and I think for some of us, we, we took our eyes off of Jesus and paid attention to other things. Uh, let's go on to our email inbox. Another one from our academy, Carter, a sixth grader here at the academy asks, Jude talks about demons being imprisoned for something they did. What did they do that was so bad? Carter, great question. It's, it's likely that these angels being referred to, or demons, or fallen angels, were the ones that were disobedient back in Genesis chapter 6. These are the ones that, even if we read that uh, demons could not have relations with people, there was a time early on when it appears that they could have. And because of Genesis chapter 6, we remember that there was... That that there were some who had lured the women into having relations with them, and God had to judge the world. And these demons were taken into captivity, reserved for outer darkness, and that's where uh, Jude talks about it, and Peter chapter 2 also talks about it. Um, Darkest blackness is reserved for them because of their disobedience. And so that's exactly what that's about. Great question, Carter. Again, I love the fact that our kids are thinking biblically. So I hope that helps. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Alan from San Antonio. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Do you remember me? I'm Alan. Of course. Of course I do, Alan. I remember you. Hi. It's good to hear your voice. Hi. We've Hi, been God praying for you. Every time you're on, every time you're on, uh, thank you for your prayers. And every time you're on, it seems like um, I always get a chance to call you. It's a great blessing. <laughs> well, it's really good to hear from you, Alan. I know things have been difficult, uh, least to say. And so I, uh, you've been the object of our prayers for for a long time. That's good to hear your thank voice. You. God bless you. I pray for you, too, and Pastor Ron and your wives. And wanted to thank you because you sent uh, Brother Carlos to my house, and he prayed with me. It was last week, I think. Yes. And uh, I talked to him, and a uh, real nice guy, and he prayed with me, and uh, I feel that it's helping me. And uh, anyway, I don't want to talk about myself the whole time, but just wanted to say God bless you and and um, say hello. And... Um, and thank you for all your prayers and absolutely, 
Absolutely, Alan. And it's really good to hear your voice. You sound like you're doing better. I love it. Can't wait to see you soon. But in the meantime, Alan, we will continue to be praying for you. And uh, yes, you're right. Carlos is just an encourager, isn't he? He's got a great spirit and a great heart. So, yes, good to hear from you, Alan. Okay, let's go back to our email inbox. Uh, We have another one here from John. I'm going to read this one. It's a little bit longer, but here, bear with me. We are, he says, exhorted in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, to pray for those in authority over us. This naturally takes me to the question of how to pray for the president. Each morning I pray for the president's physical and mental health. I pray for wisdom. I pray that he would receive and would listen to godly counsel, and I pray for his salvation if he's not saved. This is what I've been praying for for the past five presidents. The part that I'm uncertain about is the end of that verse that says that we can live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Is Paul telling us to pray for that, which honestly feels a bit self-serving, Or is he saying that we pray for those in authority in order to be able to live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness? John, great question. And the latter is true. The latter is true. So let me elaborate. When Paul here is talking about uh, praying for the authorities, he says the same thing in in Romans chapter 13. and, And Peter also says the same thing that we should pray for our governmental leaders. We pray for them these things, Yes, you're, and you're right, to pray for their health, to pray for their, uh, to have wisdom to lead our country, but ultimately we pray for them to get saved. We pray for them to be filled with God's Spirit and to lead our country uh, according to how the Spirit leads them to. Not to make this a Christian country, But we want to pray for our leaders, number one, because this is what God commands. But number two, again, the latter part of your uh, question here, Paul says that this is so that we can live godly, upright, peaceful lives. And, and, And the illustration here, the application is that if we are not praying for our leaders, if we have a anger, hatred, or contention towards them in our hearts, how then can that anger, that, that, that contention in our hearts lead to peace in our lives? It can't. And because the purpose of prayer is always to have our hearts aligned with God's heart, even if these leaders sometimes make ungodly decisions and ungodly policies, the purpose of our prayer should be for them to get saved. And when we look, when we do that, we're looking at people who disagree with us, who disagree with the Word of God. We're looking at them as the objects of our ministry, the objects of God's affection, because God isn't mad at them. He's not, he's not burning in anger against against them as a person, though he may disagree with their policies, he loves them, and he wants them saved. God desires that none should perish and that all should come to him, Peter writes. And that includes our governmental leaders. And so, yes, the answer to your question, John, is that we pray for these things so that It affects our hearts and the way we live our lives. Because the most effective Christian is one who is ministering to the people that are around them. And if you hold in bitterness, anger, and resentment against our government leaders, against the officials, or even your neighbors or other people, you will render yourself useless and ineffective for ministry. That's what bitterness does. That's what anger and resentment does when we store it up in our hearts. We can't pretend that it's not there. God says, let's deal with that. And prayer is the way that we deal with it. Again, aligning our hearts with God's heart 
so that we have his heart for God's people, the people whom he loves, even if they're in opposition to him? What a great question, John. Thank you for, for asking it. 210-340-9585. That's the toll-free number. We still got a few more minutes left for your calls. And so go ahead and take advantage of those phone numbers if you want to ask your question on the air. In the meantime, let's continue on. Our next question is from Elaine. And she simply says, do we get sick because of our sins? Elaine, this breaks my heart. The answer is no. And, and the reason why it breaks my heart is because this is, unfortunately, a false teaching that some within the church believe because they have people that they're listening to that teach that. They take scripture and they twist it and... Uh, Unfortunately, the, the result of bad Bible teaching, bad doctrine, are unbiblical beliefs like sins are because of, uh, or sickness is because of our sin. Now, it is true that our sin, the way we live our lives and the decisions we make can lead to sickness. It can lead to bad health. It can lead to Poor decision-making. Now, that's absolutely true. But for the person that is walking with the Lord and, 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 and has been forgiven of their sin, there, there is nothing from the past that, that says that uh, they are going to be sick because of things that they've done. Now, one of the things we learned from John's uh, first letter chapter 5, his, uh, his epistle, is that there is a sin that can lead to death, implying there that for the believer, there could be decisions, bad decisions made, that could affect our health or even risk our lives. And, and sometimes God will say, uh, in his foreknowledge, he'll know that, okay, that this is becoming too dangerous and he may take somebody, not to punish them for their sins, but to protect them. And why God does that, we don't know. Again, he, he knows all things. And he sees the beginning and the end at the same time. And he knows what's going on in our hearts. But to, to think that our bodies are broken down or are sick because of the sins that we, we commit is simply not true. Now, I will also say this. The reason why our bodies get sick, even when our lives are in the will of God, is, is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin was introduced in the garden, and because of sin being introduced... Uh, our bodies are, are they get sick, um, bad things happen, there's natural disasters. Remember in Ge Genesis chapter 3, there's thorns and thistles that rose from the ground. All this because of sin. Death was introduced into the world because of sin. And so, even if we can make bad decisions that could get us sick, even if we can make bad decisions that lead to us risking our lives, we aren't in bodies that get sick because of anything that we did. It's because sin entered the world and death became a reality. And so, Elaine, I think that's what you were asking. And this is one of the questions that we deal with oftentimes in counseling especially when our own bodies start to get sick or, or maybe a loved one has a, a bad report from the doctor that really comes out of the blue. Sometimes that happens, and, and we are uh, surprised by a sudden bad news. And, 
the immediate attack from the enemy in our thought life is to think, well, well, what did I do wrong? What did I do? What did I, what did I do to upset God? And none of that is true. We simply live in a fallen world. And because of that, uh, God promises eternal life to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and whether we have sickness with our bodies, we live in his presence in glorified bodies for all of eternity. And our bodies, those glorified bodies, are without sickness, without disease, without sin. And so our life temporarily here is just a, a vapor in these temporal bodies. But eternity is viewed in, if you're a born-again Christian, is viewed in glorified bodies where there is no more sin. And that's what we should look forward to. And that's why we should redeem the time and tell those that don't know the Lord that even if our bodies here on earth give up, we have a promise from God to be with him forever and eternity without sin. And that's only if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So thank you, Elaine, for your question. Let's go back to our phone lines. Lucy from Universal City, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. How are you doing today? Hi, Lucy. I am doing well. Thank you for your call. Good. Um, I am calling because of something that came up at Calvary Crafters. Uh, okay. One of, one of the ladies was doing a Bible study on uh, First Timothy, I think it's chapter 4. And it talks there about um, sharing, not to share in each other's sins. And I'm trying to find the exact, um, the exact phrase or the exact scripture um, that, uh, that has to do with that. And I'm wondering if you know anything about that particular uh, situation. Uh, I think it's in the area where it talks about don't don't lay hands on uh, leaders too quickly because it's uh, because if you do that prematurely, you might be sharing in the sins uh, that come from that decision. Um, am I making myself? understood or clear yes 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 uh, lucy i i believe i understand exactly what you're talking about and i can answer that uh, so it's probably in chapter five that you're referring to when paul writing to timothy in that first letter is speaking about uh, widows and slaves and elders and in doing so so i just had i just lost the passage well, anyways, here, what, what he's saying here, he's talking about taking care of uh, widows and having the church take care of uh, people instead of burdening the church. Uh, but the laying on of hands is not in this passage, and, uh, unless I'm mistaken. But when he says that we would take part, or we, so we don't take part in... Um, and I forget the phrasing, but the idea is that we don't take part in the sin of others. We don't want to get involved, gossip, or talk about what's going on in the lives of other people um, because we leave that between them and the Lord. Now, in that passage, if I understand you correctly, there at the end of chapter 5, when... Paul is talking about uh, guidance on how to deal with people within the church, specifically the widows. Uh, he's saying these are people we got to care for. We want to we, we want to take care of them as our own, um, and so we don't want to uh, encourage them or enable them in sin. Well, instead, what we want to do is take them in. And take them, take care of them as if they're our own family. Um, so there is no uh, being corrupted by their sin, um, 
if we get involved in their lives. But what he's saying here is more of an exhortation to take them in and treat them as our own. I think, if I'm correct, that's the passage that you're referring to. Again, the, the laying on of hands, um, the, not to do it hastily, is a reference to uh, taking your time, tell, Paul telling Timothy, take your time to watch people within the body to see how they live, to see how they serve, how they interact with God's people. And and among them, you choose those who will serve alongside with you. But the, the idea that uh, we would participate in the sins of other people, no, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's saying instead, we want to take them in and prevent them from sinning by taking care of them as our own family. I hope that makes sense, Lucy. And I think that's the passage you're talking about. Again, not in chapter 4, but in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. 22. So, thank you for your call. It's, I've got less than one minute. I don't have enough time to take any more calls here. Let me uh, slowly wrap this up by reminding the church here, if you're part of our Old Testament a Wednesday night service. Uh, we have Pastor Matt that is going to be filling in for Pastor Ron. So we'll be taking uh, a break from our usual Old Testament study. And instead, Pastor Matt will be uh, teaching, I believe, out of the book of Haggai. Short book, one of the shorter ones. I think it's only a few chapters long. And um, it's actually one of my favorite ones. And so Come tonight, 7 o'clock, if you want to participate in our Old Testament study night. Keep praying for Pastor Ron. He is coming back soon. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow, 4 o'clock. Bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. AM 630, The Word. We hope you've enjoyed The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron. You can find out more about Pastor Ron and all of the folks over at Calvary Chapel by logging on to calvarysa.com. Once again, calvarysa.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.